We're losing! Teamwork, guys. More teamwork. They're burying us alive! Eddie Shore? Oh, piss on Eddie Shore. Old-time hockey? Piss on old-time hockey! You're blowing it! And now, between the stammers, your unofficial Canucks cast. Here's Arden Caleb. You know, once we got that lead, we knew we were going to fucking get it. You know? I'm sorry, I busted. I saw we have to I'm so sorry. We just, we do. The boys just I've heard that word in hockey before. I'm terribly sorry. Okay. I apologize. As Ryan O'Reilly after the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues win it all. His first interview, I loved it. Uh, that's how we're starting off Between the Stammers today. This is Between the Stammers on a Thursday, June 13th. Caleb Kirby here alongside myself, Art Aronson. Yep. Uh, we're joined by the hardest working man in Canucks podcasting, Chris Faber, on the line with us now. How's it going, boys? It's interesting. Caleb's not going to be the first one dropping an F-bomb on this episode. Yeah, that uh, goes to Ryan <laughs> O'Reilly. I, I love that moment so much, I just had to start off. Uh, on this uh, podcast, we're going to talk about the Canucks, uh, you know, who they might possibly pick in the upcoming draft. It's fast approaching. Uh, there's also rumors swirling, trade rumors swirling around the Canucks over the last couple of weeks. Uh, they also unveiled their new jersey collection for the 50th season, so we'll get into that a little bit uh. as well. And, of course, the St. Louis, Blin- St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup somehow. Somehow they go from worst to first, right? From the root to the fruit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's Bennington, right? Let's Let's get serious here for a second. Yeah. It's not somehow. They get a goalie who comes in and stands on his head and plays unreal for, like, the second half of the season, and he pretty much gets it done for him. Well, it's not just that. It's a whole, you know, a whole team thing, too, right? Anyways, it doesn't yeah. hurt. No, no, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> no, it doesn't hurt. Uh, yeah, and like I just alluded to, we're joined by our buddy Chris Faber. He talks Vancouver Canucks on his podcast, Canucks Conversation. He also writes about them at Canucks Army, and he joins us from Nanaimo, right, Faber? You betcha. Beautiful day here in Nanaimo. It's, it's uh, an exciting day. You know, I'm uh, happy to be back on the uh, Between the Stammers podcast with you guys. I had a good time my first time, and I'm happy you guys are having me back here. I'm doing a little podcast run this week, too, as well. So you guys got the first interview with me. I'm happy. It's going to be cool to uh, see my name come up on some other podcasts. Yeah, man. Instead of me interviewing everyone else, it's, it's cool to kind of join into a podcast a little bit. Dude, you've been he, hard at work, Yeah, too. you've been hard at work. Some of these guests <laughs> lately, all these mini podcasts that you're throwing out here, like some Pretty darn good interviews there with Krupski and Button. I I was just like enamored with both of those interviews. Oh yeah, thanks a lot. And it was it was pretty cool getting responses from those guys and everything. It, it actually the the funny thing was I also reached out to Ray Ferraro, and uh, I I don't know if I can even say what he said back. He was not down at all. He <laughs> he was he's the kind of guy who enjoys his off seasons. If he wasn't having it, he did not want to come on the show. He said once the hockey season's over, I don't want to talk draft. I'm golfing. I said. All right, Ray, let's, uh, let's talk in the fall then. So maybe I'll have Ferraro in the fall, but he is not coming in the offseason, I'll tell you that. Should have invited him golfing. Yeah, I know. I could have done a pod, just follow him around with a microphone and see how, <laughs> how many F-bombs he dropped on the course. I don't know. So on Canucks Army, you've been writing about, you know, some of these prospects coming up. I I, I think that's where we should start here, Kerb, right? Sure. Uh, can, they, I, can I quickly cut in and start? I got a story about Caleb Kirby before we get – can I get that going right off yeah, the bat? Is that yeah, fine? shoot it, buddy. I'm going to hijack your show a little bit here. <laughs> okay, so I'm going out to Miller's Pub, a little pub here in Nanaimo. Uh, karaoke one. bar, you know, it's having a good time. It's for a bu- one of my best friend's birthdays. We're doing karaoke the whole night, uh, you know, singing Enrique, singing Aerosmith, getting it done and everything. And then I see this guy walk in in a Canucks shirt, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. So I've had quite a few drinks at this point. I'm like, wow, that's, that's Caleb right on. I'll go, uh, I'll go over and chat with him in a little bit after I sing uh, Hero by Enrique Iglesias. So I'm going to sing my song. <laughs> 
I sit down and then I go and I sit down at this table and I'm like, Caleb, how's it going, Matt? Uh, what's been going on? Your podcast has been great, Matt. I've enjoyed the last few episodes. Uh, Caleb, do you remember this? No. Yeah, because it wasn't you. Uh, it was actually somebody else that looked a lot like you. And the guy was like, uh, my name's Frank. Uh, I'm not Caleb at all. So, uh, interesting moment there. I thought I was starstruck by Caleb Kirby, but it just turned out to be a guy named Frank, I guess. Uh, yeah. I don't know what the most embarrassing part of that story is. You singing in Reiki Iglesias or you going up to a guy not named Kirby? No, man. Hey, I like I'll- the choice. I like the Enrique choice. Hero? Absolutely. Yeah. Hero is my song for karaoke, man. Yeah. I'm Nothing just kidding gets it done like yeah. Hero. Yeah. I, uh, I'm an escape guy myself when it comes to Enrique, Ooh. but uh, <laughs> no, I like that choice a lot. I think it's bang on. Escape. I think that's the one he has. It's a music video with Anna Kornikova. No, that's that's Ooh. Hero. That's Hero? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> all right. No, it's another good one. I, I don't know what if they call I forget what the song. Uh, Dima Lo, I think it's called, or Do You Know in English, but the Spanish version is better. And it's just like a ping pong to start the song. It's like, do you know? Man, we got to go karaokeing with uh, yeah, yeah, Chris Faber. Come up here to Miller's and we'll get her done. Yeah, Enrique's got some bangers, man. Um, I, I, I totally, I'm totally like, uh, I approve. I definitely approve. <laughs> So, right so maybe I'll actually run into Caleb Kirby instead of Frank next time at yeah. karaoke here in the <laughs> Frank sounds like a cool guy, though. You know, Canuck yeah. shirt. Yeah, same tendencies. <laughs> Walks into exactly. walks into pubs, wears a Canuck shirt. <laughs> exactly, I was convinced. Anyways, he did a good job. You got impersonators out there. <laughs> well, often uh, imitated, Caleb Kirby. Yeah. Uh, so the draft is coming up real soon, guys. Like June twenty first. That's next Friday. Like the, right around the corner. So the Canucks have the tenth overall pick. They have the fortieth overall pick and the seventy first overall pick. Uh, you've been doing a lot of work about some of the prospects that the Canucks might have a chance at uh, getting there in the first round. Uh, do you want to start? Uh, do you got a guy, Curb, that you want uh, Faber to tell us about a little bit? Well, I mean, like like I said, you've been working hard lately, and I mean, I really enjoyed both uh, your conversations with, with uh, Pete Krupski, who's the broadcaster for the U.S. national team. Yeah, play-by-play for them, and he, I think he's been doing it for almost five years. He also does the, their, all their social media, so he's talking with the coaches and getting everything out. Pete, Pete does an incredible incredible job. If you guys aren't following him on Twitter, he's, uh, he's worth a follow for sure. I, I actually uh, I jumped on following him right after I listened to that interview, man. And <laughs> Awesome. I mean, like, w- w- this national development team, like, this is unheard of. They got basically seven guys who could go in the top 15. Yep. Right. And I thought your in-depth interview with both him and Button, it, it kind of opened some eyes for me a little bit on just how highly everybody does think of uh, Cole Caulfield. So I just got some questions for you regarding like how you think this is going to shake down in regards to this team. Like, where do you think all these players are going to go? Yeah, um, I guess I'll start right off the top with um, who I don't really have projected. As, I, I mean, if I were to project a mock draft, I would have Alex Turcotte going three. Um, I don't have him there in my rankings. I think Zegers is actually a better player, and I know that's something maybe we'll get into a little bit here. But I think that there's a good chance that three of the top five picks are actually guys from that United States national team. Obviously, Jack Hughes going number one. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Chicago takes Alex Turcotte at number three. And number five, because it was funny, I was when I also interviewed Cole Caulfield a few weeks before that, I had to wait 45 minutes, and I was – you know, Pete's on the phone with me, calling back and forth. He's like, sorry, he's still on the phone with the LA Kings. Calls me back 15 minutes. He's still on the phone with the LA Kings. Calls me back another 15 minutes. He's almost finished. He's just wrapping up with the LA Kings. So I was thinking, 
Okay, well, the Kings seem pretty interested if they're having almost an hour-long phone conversation. The LA Kings sit at number five, right? Yeah. And that was kind of interesting for me just to have that kind of little piece of information of, you know, they, they obviously had a great interview with him. I know they interviewed him again at the Combine, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they had another interview with him. So it really wouldn't shock me at all to see Cole Caulfield go as high as number five as well. Yeah, I, and I, I, I feel like he's the guy who's probably jumped up the board the most. I mean, like, Button had him rated number four on his final rankings list, which, you know, I always thought was a bit high. But, I mean, like, everybody's talking about this, like, otherworldly shot that he has. And, I mean, he's proven it. Like, you can see what type of a shooter he is. It's just, you know, he's a right winger and he's a little undersized. And then when you talk about complete player, kind of work on the wall might be one of those things that that certain uh, teams take issue with. But, I mean, as far as natural uh, gifts and talents, it, it seems like he's just shot right up. Yeah, no, and it's hard to argue with 72 goals, but I guess the argument you can have against it is the fact that he plays with a guy like Jack Hughes. It's similar to what, you know, look at a guy like, it's funny because – he gets compared so much to Alex Dabrinkit. The funny thing about Alex Dabrinkit is he played with Connor McDavid. You know, it's it's very similar situation. But the fact that Dabrinkit has been able to come into the NHL, score 41 goals last year with the Chicago Blackhawks, I mean, that's that's a huge boost for a guy like Cole Caulfield, who I think it was cool in the interview when I was talking to him. Something that he brought up a couple times was his ability to know where to be on the ice when he's playing with great players like Jack Hughes and the other players that he was playing with on that line. And, you know, his power play, he scores goals from all over the place. He could score from the bumper position. He could score one-timers from the left wing. He was all around the net. But the thing about those 72 goals is, like, honestly, I would have to say probably 40 of those goals are with a player nowhere near him. Like, he finds zones that, you know, he's there for a rebound or he's there for a great backdoor pass from Jack Hughes. So, like, the shot is great. Don't get me wrong. I think he has one of the better shots in here. I don't think he has the best shot in the draft, actually, but – He's probably in the top five for really good shots in this draft coming up here. But at the same time, he he did get a lot of a big boost playing with a guy like Jack Hughes on this amazing United States national team. I mean, there was games where he scored six goals. Yeah. You know, I think there was multiple times he was over four goals. So even if you take away a few of those games, there's times where he's a little bit absent. But, I mean, he he's going to score for you. He knows where to be and where to score the goals from on an offensive zone. And the hardest thing to do in the NHL is score goals. So, I, you know, Cole Caulfield can go anywhere from – from 5th to 15th really if you if you think about it. You don't see him getting past LA though, eh? You think you think LA is going after him? Um I I think they could pass on him. I think it's there's a few players that could be really interesting to see. I mean, I think Byram and Turcotte have kind of pushed themselves above everybody else in this ranking. It's and it was interesting. I was talking to Cam Robinson yesterday. Uh he kind of has it as like 1 2 Jack Hughes, Capo Caco, then 3 4 is pretty much set with Bowen Byram and Alex Turcotte, and you can exchange those guys as much as you want, but it seems like that's going to be three or four. And then it really opens up. Like, anybody can go from five to 12. I mean, you could have a guy like, you know, somebody could fall in love with Alex Newhook and take him in the top ten. Yeah. There's guys like Peyton Krebs, Kirby Dock, Dylan Cozens. I mean, so many of these guys. Like, it's, it's really just who they feel. But I, I guess, like, the little bit of inside information that I got, probably the first time I've ever gotten inside information was hearing how much the LA Kings were talking to a guy like Cole Caulfield. So, I can see him dropping out of that. I can see him being there at number 10 for the Canucks, to be honest, and I think that would be a great pickup for them. Cool. So um, do you have your own top 10 list of, of prospects? Do you Have you looked at it that way? Uh, yeah, somewhat. I mean, I've got, I haven't really written it out, but I know who I kind of have in the top 10, and, and it's a little bit different from a lot of people. I don't really have Turcotte as high as some people do. It was, 
it was interesting because I've, I've written a few pieces, like you kind of mentioned there for Canuck yeah. Army. I've, I've written about, uh, I'm working on the Zegers piece right now. I've written about Cole Caulfield. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Matt Boldy. I think he's a great player too. But um, the thing that was interesting is before, I wasn't even going to write about Trevor Zegers, but he kept coming up and showing up. Like in these games where I was like paying attention specifically to Matt Boldy, you know, like Matt Boldy's shift would end and I would normally skip ahead to his next shift. But then I'd see like Zegers pull something crazy. I'm like, Man, Trevor Zegers is an unreal player, and I think I have him. I think I have him at four. I think I got Bowen Byram at three, uh, Zegers at four. I got Caulfield at five, and then it really opens up from there. I can't really tell you who's who's going to be picked from six to twelve because that's absolutely wide open for me. Well, it's funny because uh, you and Craig Button both agreed on Zegers, uh, you know, having a little bit more potential than Alex Turcotte, which I, you know, when you guys were talking about them both, it, it seemed like. Con- your consensus was bang on with what he was saying. Yeah, I was surprised that uh, Craig had my back on that one. I was kind of surprised that we agreed on that because a lot of people have Turcotte really high. They, you know, the thing about Alex Turcotte is people say that he he's pretty much like a lower quality Sidney Crosby is something that I've heard a lot, and I think that's obviously a player that you really want. But at the same time, when you talk about a floor for Turcotte, I mean, his floor is still like a third line center. When you talk about a guy like Trevor Zegers, I think he's got a ceiling that's so high. I think Trevor Zegers can be that first-line left winger because he's he's listed as a center, but and he was great at face-offs. I thought that Zegers was really good at face-offs and watching him, but I see him moving to the left wing in the future, and that's where he played a lot of time on the power play. When uh, when this United States national team was running their second unit, it ran through Trevor Zegers. Like, and, and don't get me wrong, like this first unit is crazy. Seeing what Jack Hughes was doing on this first power play unit is like, there's a reason why he should be number one over Capo Caco because Caco has made a strong push. But if you watch Jack Hughes play, he runs offense. I know that some people have said Zegers is the best playmaker in this draft, but when you look at what Jack Hughes does, I mean, his passing is great, but he absolutely makes plays. He's the best playmaker by a mile in this draft. And seeing what Zegers was able to do on that second unit with some worse players, I really like him, and I would not be shocked at all to see Zegers go at number five either. Well, I mean, like, when you hear comparisons to Elias Patterson coming out of, like, a guy like Button's mouth, you know, like, it, it especially in Canuckland, when you hear that, like, your ears kind of perk yeah. up, right? <laughs> well, imagine having two Pedersons on a line with Brock Bester. That sounds great. So you're telling me that Jack Hughes isn't going to fall to 10. Is that is that what I'm hearing? No, I mean, there's a small <laughs> chance. There's a really small chance, but... Uh, I don't see him falling to number ten, but you know, like this, it's a crazy draft, man. You never know, but uh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be pretty certain he's gone at one or number two. I, I think there's a tiny chance that Kako does actually go number one. So. From what I hear, like after the third pick, it's like all bets are off from then on. That's that's from what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. That's... I would, I would say after four, I think that um, I'm, you know, I'm pretty confident just hearing from talking to other scouts. I think that Chicago likes Turcotte. He's a kid that's from that area. Um, I think that he, I think it would, especially if you kind of see how this draft goes, if Chicago picks Turcotte, number four is super interesting because if you look at all the teams behind Colorado who has the fourth pick, you look at LA, Detroit, Buffalo, Edmonton, the Ducks, and Vancouver, like all of those teams want Bowen Byram. And do any of those teams have enough to trade up to a team like Colorado that I think Colorado is ready to compete for a playoff spot. Yeah. You know, not only a playoff spot, a Stanley Cup with the players that they've added. Yeah, I if agree. You could add, like, think about the players that some of these guys, like LA, Detroit, Buffalo, Edmonton, these guys have players that could make your team immediately better. And you also give up that pick. I would, I would be super interested to see. And uh, 
I guess I know Caleb's a draft hater, but maybe I'll be having some fun at the draft. Maybe that fourth pick gets swapped around. Hey, man, if that action goes down, um, like like I said, if I see that action go down, and again, I if I'll I'll probably be watching it a little bit on TV, not live, just because like I've said a million times, I've criticized it enough, but um, I, I like obviously that's gonna spice things up, right? And yeah. and and having this kind of crop with all these different positions available, I think a lot of teams are still looking for that centerman, right? And there's a lot of elite talent that isn't necessarily uh, centerman in this draft that some teams might just pass on because they want to strengthen up that spine. But just going back to uh, like your personal list here, I mean, we've, we've basically stalled at kind of what five. Could you just give, could you kind of just give me maybe your, your top 10 off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, I guess I could, but I, I really have a lot of these guys in a similar spot. You know, okay. like any anything after, I guess, so I so I guess I did Turcotte and Byram at four, three and four. Uh, number five, I, I, I do think Caulfield goes there, or Zegris. I think either of those guys can swap for five or six. Um, and then from seven, eight, nine, I, I got Boldy, I got Cousins, I got Krebs. And I, at number eight, I would not be shocked if the Edmonton Oilers take Philip Broberg. Um, from there, like, the one of the most interesting guys in this draft is Arthur Kalia because he absolutely scores goals, but he's just he's just like absent on the ice. And he it's not that he's like slow and bad at defense. It's just like he didn't do it at the OHL. So I'm really interested to see what he does next year. If you know when he does return to the OHL, like okay, an NHL an NHL team owns you at this point. You should probably prove that you can play defense because he can do it when he tries. Yeah. But there was times where it's like you ever see like that those videos of like when the controller dies on NHL and the player just like slides down the ice. Like he did that so many times. And I, I would not be shocked if a team loves Cali and takes him that high, but the way it's shaping out, I guess. Yeah. So I got like, Caulfield and Zegers five, six, and then seven, eight, nine. It's going to be cousins, Boldy, Krebs, uh, Pod Colson, Broberg. Those guys all kind of fit in that same range for me. I think that new hook, and Soderstrom are kind of the next level off of there. So, like, honestly, it's really hard to make a top 10 because I know yeah. it's going to be wrong. But uh, those players are really interchangeable at that range. And that's why I think the Canucks have such an interesting spot at 10 because they're kind of in the middle of that, like, third tier, I guess, where whoever kind of falls to them, we should be happy with because we're going to get a really good player at number 10. Yeah, I mean, I, another guy that jumps out to me on this list is Spencer Knight, man. Like, I haven't seen a goalie rated this high for a while. Yeah. And there's a couple teams out there that are hurting for a, a goalie to shore up that position to get that position moving into the future. And I mean, like Spencer Knight seems like that kind of a stud who could do that for you. Um, and just having a goalie this high up in the draft, you never know, like when that first team is going to chicken out and say, like, this is like, we got to use this pick now to take this guy. And uh, I, I think that's going to maybe potentially move a better player down the list for the Canucks. Right. I don't think that he'll go in the top 10, but I think between 12 and 17, all those teams could take him. Uh, Minnesota, they're looking for a goalie. Florida's looking for a goalie. The Coyotes would love to have a goalie. Montreal, you could think about. I mean, Carey Price has some years on him, but Spencer Knight's going to take a few years to get there as well. Colorado at 16, that's really interesting because they could draft a great player at four and draft Spencer Knight at 16, your goalie of the future. But the one that I don't think, if he gets to 17, I don't think the Knights pass on him at 17. So I don't see Spencer Knight going any deeper in this draft in 17, which would which could make it really interesting from kind of 12 to 17, like I mentioned yeah. there. There could be a lot of trade. There could be a lot of other teams that are deeper in the draft that want to trade up and draft Spencer Knight before the Panthers do, before the Avalanche get their second pick. Like I, I, I don't, I do not see Spencer Knight falling out of the top seventeen. Well, even with defense on a need as well. I mean, we we're talking about 
uh, you know, Philip Broberg, Bowen Byram, but then you have your Cam Yorks, you have um, your your boy there, Victor Soderstrom. I've, My boy. I've been a fan of uh, Lassie Thompson's game from what I've watched this year. I think he's really dynamic in the offensive zone. He definitely has holes in his defensive game, but he's one of those guys, I think, who can surprise people. And it's just like when those needs are out there, when you need defense and you need centermen, especially with so many centermen in this draft rated high with Cousins, Kaliev, Doc, like um, I think that, you know, the Canucks have a pretty good chance to land a really good winger that, that could fall just right in their lap. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned Lassie Thompson there. I think that he's a great player as well. I think he's got one of the best uh, shots from the point in this draft here. And where the Canucks sit there, you know, a lot of these centers that are – like, I know you're a big fan of Matt Boldy, and you should be because he's, he's probably the best all-around player in this draft. If you look at guys that play on the boards, guys that have a good shot, like – Matt Boldy, a lot of people are calling him a power forward, but the thing that he really excelled in was just that one-timer from the right side. Like, he, he did an amazing job this year. He got to play with some really good players, and, and when I interviewed him, you know, the fact that he mentioned how good he played with Trevor Zegras, he just enjoyed how smart Trevor Zegras was. It said it was so easy for him to play with him, and he's a guy who has a great shot as well. But I guess, like, when you guys see the Canucks sitting at number 10, do you think it's best idea to kind of try and drop down a couple picks? Or what would it take for you guys to drop down from 10 to, say, 13? What's, like, a good value to drop down three picks? Because there's really good players in that area. Because you talked about it being kind of on a tier there. And I think from what I'm kind of hearing from you, you kind of think that everybody from, like, 5 to 12 are kind of in the same tier. Is that is that Am I correct in thinking that? So if yeah, that's I if, do. yeah, so if that's what you think, then like, why would you trade up out of that tier? Yeah, you, you would have to you would have to give up a lot to trade. You know, you'd want to trade into the top four is what you'd want to do, and yeah, you'd probably no, have to give up a lot for that. Yeah, I guess the only spot where I would actually want to trade up is to get Bowen Byram. Like, if you know, if for some reason he's there at number six, I, I would be interested to see if Detroit was willing to move him at that point. But I guess you know, you know what I'm kind of asking is if the Canucks want to go from ten to twelve or thirteen what is it do you guys think is enough to make that move? Because at 12 or 13, I know the Canucks are interested in Newhook. I know they're interested in Victor Soderstrom. And I think both those players are there at 12 and 13. And I think they would be happy with either or, you know, and then at that point, I think it drops a little bit after 13. So what do you think the good value to go from 10 to 12 to 13? I think it just all depends if your man's on the board still or not. Like obviously these scouts have an idea of who their man is going in here projections right and if that man either falls to them they're probably going to stay where they are but if they lose that guy and they have a backup plan which they feel like they could maybe move down two or three spots for then i think that that moves a cinch it's a no-brainer right but like obviously like the things you'd be asking for in return i mean if it was me running the team which obviously i'm not doing but i mean I'd, i'd be asking for another pick in in that deal right and if you can find a, a another pick, I, I'd make that move in a heartbeat. How high do you think the pick needs to be? Is the second or a third, or is that too crazy a thing? I well, I don't see the harm in asking, right? Mm-hmm. If if you ask for a second, you get shut down, and then you think it's worth a third to move down two spots. I I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. It all depends on. It all depends on circumstance. There's so many things that can happen here, right? That's why the drafts are interesting, right? It's all about is your man on the board? How much are you willing to give up to get your man? So, and we we don't know. We don't know what uh, Bracket and uh, Benning is thinking right are thinking right now at that point at that time. So yeah, it's uh, that's very uh, difficult to say. 
Well, and then you got to see who's actually going to be there. And, like, who's your guys' – I know – I think I know yours, uh, Caleb, but, like, at number 10, who's your ideal guy that actually has a good possibility of being there? Yeah, I was uh, – well, he said Boldy there. I was uh, – I, 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 and I've said on this podcast that I'm not uh, a huge prospects guy, and I haven't, like – I'm not going to try and pretend to be the guy who knows everything about every prospect, but yeah. um, I kind of like the idea of uh, the the lo- the local kid here, Alex Newhook, because I think he he might be the fastest skater in the draft, and I think the Canucks could use some speed. With uh, I mean, it's not that Patterson and Besser are slow by any stretch the imagination, but if they got another burner there to help them out on that line, I think that'd be really really cool. I really would. Yeah, I, I like Newhook a lot, and uh, actually, like, this week, this weekend here, I'm going to be doing a ton. Pretty much all Saturday is going to be watching Newhook. I've seen him play a lot being here from the Nanaimo. I got to see him every time he was here, and uh, I even showed up to a game to watch him play against the Nanaimo Clippers here, and uh, he was at the U18, so I'm like, oh, great. I get to watch this crappy Victoria Grizzlies team without <laughs> Newhook, and the Clippers actually won, so I was like, oh, man, this Grizzlies team is not very good without Newhook, but I, you know, I'm going to watch a ton of him this weekend, and my article will be coming out uh, hopefully Saturday or Sunday about that, but I, I think that Newhook, I don't think a lot of teams are that interested in him above the 13th pick, I guess. Right. And the interesting thing for me is the Canucks have kind of openly talked about Newhook being a guy that they're going to have continued interviews with. And that, that was the funny thing was they did that with Cody Glass as well. So I'm wondering if they're putting a little bit of a smoke screen out about that. Like yeah. we never heard, we did not hear anything about the Elias Pedersen interviews that actually that did take place in Vancouver. He said that he had two interviews at the time in Vancouver. We didn't hear any of that come out, right, when he, they did draft Pedersen. So I'm I'm looking at a guy like Vasily Pod Colson or Victor yeah. Soderstrom, guys he, that aren't really getting a lot of talk. He was the guy that I was going to bring up next. And, like, I mean, like, this USHL team is getting so much, you know, like praise and everything, and for good reason, but, like, and, and, and it's one of those things that we just kind of do as Canadians uh, for the most part. When we have players who, you know, are playing in different leagues overseas, we don't get to see as much of them, and we don't really get to talk to as many people over there about them. But, like, I mean, Pod Colson, he's been, like, he's been high all year on these draft boards, you know. And uh, he's actually seems like he's fallen a little bit. But uh, like you said in, in your interview there, that's because he's moved around a tad. Yeah, I know he's played in three different leagues uh, with the same team, but in kind of like the KHL, VHL, and MHL, I think. Yeah. Just, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy he's jumped around. So, like, the stats aren't great. I know he had really good numbers in the MHL. I think he scored every second game or something like that. Played, played in the playoffs on two different teams. I mean, that's crazy. And to think that he can't really develop chemistry with either of those teams, that makes it tough on a guy. But I think a lot of people wanted to see what he could do at the at the U18s, and that's the tournament that he's kind of struggled in a little bit as he was a captain of that team. But you know, in other games of international play, he was really good, and I think that I think that he has dropped, like you mentioned there, Curb. Like he's dropped in a lot of different ranks, and I think it's for a reason because yeah, it's been kind of tough to see him. I think Craig Button talked about that a lot that he might be one of the most skilled players in this draft. Still, he might be that number three on a lot of people's boards. But the fact that people who are in my position who are just kind of watching as much game tape as we have, it's pretty damn tough to watch this kid play, and we only really get a chance to see him at U18s. I know that some of the premier scouts, like guys like Cam Robinson, Ryan Beach, these kind of guys have still been able to watch him, and they still said, like, he should still be a really high pick. I think Elite Prospects had him at number three still on their list. Like, they were not shaken from the season that he had, and that's kind of interesting for me because he's a guy, honestly, I didn't get a ton to watch of him. I, I only really got to watch him at the U18s, and 
I thought that he still played decent. And the interesting thing about him is he's a Russian guy that's not really a sniper. He's a power forward. And that's super intriguing to see that he has that high of a ceiling to be a first-line winger. Uh, yeah. I was wondering, Faber, you uh, you kind of mentioned some of these, uh, some of the, like, that we haven't been talking about. Is, is there a player that you think that could really fall in the draft? Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a few. Um, you know, Peyton Krebs, what's going on with him uh, and his injury, that could make it yeah. tough. Uh, he could fall just because of that. And I know the Canucks don't want to draft another guy in a walking boot. Yeah. Uh, that would just be very Vancouver of them to do. Um, the other guy... And I, I think he's already a guy that's kind of not really ranked too high. And I've mentioned his name, Arthur Kaliev. He can drop pretty far uh, just because of a lot of teams don't even have him in their top 60 from what I've heard. Um, at the same time, he could go as high as like as like seven, eight or nine, right? Like Arthur Kaliev is, is really the most interesting guy in this first round for sure. Uh, I know a lot of people like Thomas Harley, but a lot of people don't like Thomas Harley as well. He, he could be one that could even fall out of the first round. Uh, Moritz Sider is another guy, another right-handed defenseman from Germany. It, the interesting thing is going to be, I guess, like after 15, when all of those great wingers and a couple of good defenders that are above the rest, it's going to be a run of defensemen or none of them are going to be picked at all. Like it's either going to be, it's going to go like Harley, Sider, uh, you know, a couple other defense, Cam York. Those guys are going to run off the board probably for defensemen. It could like those three yeah. could go in a row just because teams need defensemen. Yeah, and then it could be feast or famine for them, right? That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if they start going, you're like, oh, shit, I got to get this defenseman. And I guess, like, we could see that or we could see a guy like, you know, Phil Tomasino is really interesting for me. The OHL scouts that I've talked to, he could be a guy that goes really high. He's also a guy that could drop out of the first round because he, I think he had the best points per 60 minutes at five on five in all of the CHL. But he didn't get a lot of power play time because Niagara Ice Dogs were a really good team in the OHL. But he, he's a guy who's super interesting for me because, like I said, the highest points per 60 uh, in all of the CHL leagues. And that's pretty interesting for a guy to do, like, in his draft year as well, right? It's not some 20-year-old doing this in the CHL. So he's an interesting one because he could go high, he could go low. And then I guess, like, dropping, I don't really think of anyone too much that could drop. Like, we could see Kaliev. Um, but I think everyone else is going to be kind of set. The top 20 is is pretty set to me. I don't really see anybody falling out of that that much. It's funny that you brought up Peyton Krebs because, I mean, he played for an absolutely brutal Kootenai Ice team this last year, right? Like, he was like a minus a million, you know, by the end of the season. And I, as a scout, that's got to be tough, you know, to yeah. look at a guy who's that good of a player, play for this team, come out and be a minus guy, and you go, okay, well, is this guy really as good as he looks out there because he's the only guy on this team that I'm here for? Or is it the other way around? Is it this team is so bad and this guy's sticking out to me because he is just that much better than, you know, the rest of his team? And I think you might see that in not only with the way that people have been scouting Peyton Krebs, but also this USHL team. With this many guys in, uh, you know, like the top 15, seven guys, like that's almost half, right? It's, it's kind of intriguing to me that, you know, like, not all these guys are going to hit. Like, we're going to see a couple guys come out of this that just aren't going to bloom into the players that, you know, their teams expected them to. Is there yeah. anybody on that team that you're kind of weary of that you're like, well, maybe, you know, I wouldn't necessarily take a flyer out on this guy? I guess the only guy that I, I wouldn't want to take, especially where the Canucks are sitting, is Cam York. Um, I think they, the way he fit into that team, a lot of his points came from, 
playing on a power play and being the power play quarterback with Jack Hughes on his right side and Cole Caulfield on his left side. I mean, those guys are going to put up mad points on the power play. And a lot of the points that Cam York scored did come from that. I think that he's an all right defender. I think he moves the puck decently, but I probably have a lot of other defensemen above Cam York, even though he seems like the guy that's kind of after Soderstrom and Broberg. You know, I probably have Sider above him. I probably have Enola above him. Maybe Thomas Harley's about the same for me, but that's one of those situations where, yeah, he benefits from playing on a great team. And the other thing that's interesting, like you talked about a guy like, uh, you know, that's playing on the, or sorry, that's playing on the, uh, on the Kootenai ice. I've lost any Peyton Krebs here. Uh, I think the fact that he's playing on such a bad team, it's also sort of similar to what Alex Newhook's doing, right? He's playing in a worse league. Exactly. In the NHL. And I think those two players, I think you bring up a good point that those two guys are some of the ones that you would probably want to take a risk on because, yeah, you talked about what Peyton Krebs did. He was a minus 50, plus minus. Like, how many times are we going to see a minus 50, plus minus player in the top 10 of a lot of drafts? I don't, I can't remember that at all. Now he's on the Winnipeg Ice, and the exciting thing about him is uh, Winnipeg Ice just signed their first overall pick, Matthew Savoie, who's going to be a top pick in the upcoming few drafts here. He's going to be really interesting to see. I think he's like one of the underagers who gets to play in the WHL. So, he, you know, Peyton Krebs is going to get a chance to play with him probably next year. on oh, that Winnipeg the cheese grater on. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's, yeah, I think that a couple of the guys on the USA, USHL team, I think that they are going to hit. I don't think that Turcotte, you know, like obviously Jack Hughes is going to hit, but Turcotte and Boldy are going to be great players. Caulfield, I think, is going to be a good player. He's probably one of the guys that, that is the toughest risk or reward and could be a lot more risk, but I do think that Caulfield's going to make an impact at the NHL. Hey, Faber, uh, we could talk about these prospects probably for another hour or so, but I did, just to wrap it up, though, you asked us who we thought the we'd like the Canucks to pick there at that 10th spot. If you were to put down all your money, who's the player do you think the Canucks will get there at 10? Well, I've been doing it all season, and ever since I watched him play his first game, he's been my guy. It's Victor Soderstrom, man. I think, I think he's Quinn Hughes' partner of the future, and I, I think the Canucks should take him at ten. All right, there you go. It's on record. Love it. You betcha. Uh, and obviously, we can uh, hear more about these prospects, uh, read more about these prospects from you at uh, the Canucks Army, right? You betcha. A couple more pieces on Zegers coming out and New Hook this week, so that'll be up this week. And I think I got another one on Boldy coming out. Uh, on the Nation Network on Sunday. All right. Uh, well, we're going to move on to the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. It's over. Uh, the last game of the NHL season, the St. Louis Blues defeating the Boston Bruins 4-1 in Game 7. Came as a bit of a shock to a lot of people. Uh, Curb and I were watching it at a local pub. There was a lot of Blues fans there, a lot of people hating on the uh, Who else was there, Boston Art? Bruins. Kirk <laughs> McLean was there. So yeah, we, we should have led with Club that. Yeah. Last night really? in Victoria, Kirk McLean and uh, Tom Gillardi, owner of the Dallas Stars, were both like two tables behind <laughs> us watching the game. Wow, that's pretty unreal in Victoria. Well, a lot of guys I hear like retired in Victoria. It's a great city to be in. Yeah. By the way, Kirk McLean's got a sweet like arm tattoo. Hey, I noticed yeah. that right away. I was like, <laughs> Kirk, badass. Yeah, breaking news here on the <laughs> uh, I got a great Kirk McLean. Well, it's not that great a Kirk McLean story, but it is a Kirk McLean story. So I was weary of going to talk to Kirk McLean because the last time I saw Kirk McLean was actually Ring of Honor night for Kirk McLean at Rogers Arena. And Kerb and I actually went to that game back in 2010, I think it was. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And after the game, we went to uh, McLean's restaurant, actually, in Gastown called McLean's, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> And Kirk McLean was making the rounds around the table and 
Art Aronson had a few too many pops, and he had was a getting few too many pops and a duck poutine in him. That's correct. <laughs> and I was just like, every time he walked past, I was like, "You're the man, Kirk. <laughs> You're the man." And it got a little excessive, right, Kirk? Yeah, it did. It did. I actually got my jersey signed by him that night too, which was nice. which was pretty cool. But you know, like that's what happens sometimes when you get a little star star starstruck. Um, as soon as I talked to him, you know, I brought up the save just like everybody does, right? And yeah. he's just like, yeah, yeah, the save was good. You can just tell he's just like, okay, guys. <laughs> you know, like, I know this is my night and everything like that, but you're probably like the thousandth people that have come and talked to me about this just in today. But, dude, such a nice guy. Like, yeah. he, even yesterday he was taking time to uh, take pictures with fans and everything outside of the Shark Club. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I said to him, Faber, I, as we were walking out, I was like, Kirk McLean, you're the man, and just kept walking. <laughs> you didn't ask him about the save again? No. No, I did not. Uh, and maybe we should ask him to be on between the stammers, so we may have, missed, a, we may have missed an opportunity. Yeah, we farmed there. that a little bit yeah, there. unfortunately. Uh, He's so, hanging around there every weekend now, waiting for him to show up again. <laughs> maybe he is. I was, a little, I was a little shocked he was in the Shark Club, to be honest, but yeah, still, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. We were talking about the Stanley Cup final, though. The Boston Bruins, St. Louis Blues. I actually picked the St. Louis Blues to win in seven, actually, before the series started. I mean, I was wrong about every other series leading up into this <laughs> Stanley Cup final, but I did get that right over Caleb Kirby, so I had to, uh, you know, have to scream that one. Yeah, out. now I owe this fucker a lunch. Yeah. Well, I forgot. <laughs> From the Shark that. Club there. That's right. Yeah, the probably. <laughs> Are you upset that the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup there? Favor. Uh, nope, and uh, I would have been more upset if Boston won. I, I'm still not over 2011, so anytime that I get to see a crying meme of Brad Marchand all over Twitter, I'm happy with that. Yeah, that really made its rounds. Uh, it mm-hmm. was uh, the stuff of fantasy for a lot of Canuck fans, I thought. Um, you know what, man? I was I thought Boston was going to end up winning the Cup. Like I thought they were the better team. I, th- I thought they were going to win the Cup since December. Um you know, obviously, didn't happen. I wasn't cheering for him by any means. But, yeah, you're right. This Brad Marchand meme, like, mania that's going around on Canucks Twitter is fantastic. It's fun. It's fun. It's it's <laughs> amazing how artistic certain people get with it. I mean, we saw these jersey designs today, and people were throwing his face all over the jersey designs as well. I thought it was great. <laughs> what did you think of the playoffs overall, Faber? Um, I think that the playoffs came to a little bit of a lull when we got to the final four teams. Um, you know, just the way, the way it sometimes is that some of those matchups aren't really desired, I guess, by all of hockey fans. But I think all in all, I guess the, the, the story of St. Louis is incredible. Like, if you really think about it, like, it, I know the playoffs came to a little bit of a lull and the games in the final weren't great. Like, it was either a blow up for Boston or St. Louis grinding them out and just beating the shit out of Boston all game long and somehow getting a win out of it. But when you look at what St. Louis did, man, like I know it's brought up a million times that they were the worst team in the league in December and, you know, they were tied with Ottawa. So, I mean, Ottawa's still tied with them. I'll get a little shot at Ottawa there. But they were <laughs> they were the worst team in the league at some point of the season and the fact that they've been able to come and win the Stanley Cup, it's, you know, I think they, even when you saw them like raising the Stanley Cup, it was like, I don't even think they know what they just did at this point because it's an incredible story. Like there will be movies made out of this. Yeah, and interim coach Craig Berube, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I just thought that was so funny how they just kept calling him interim coach Craig Berube, <laughs> and he's in the Stanley Cup Finals bringing this team there. One of the things I thought about the Blues early on in the season was I just thought they were so lazy on the defensive side of the puck, and clearly that's been instilled in them now. Like, I mean, to come back and play the way they've been playing, 
and to, and to win the whole thing. I was just, yeah, it's it's night and day. That team in the playoffs, they look like a night and day to how they looked at the beginning of the season. I think that's partly on Mike Yo as a coach, but also just getting a goaltender that's not so Jekyll and Hyde, right? Like Jake Allen's just Mr. Hot and Cold, and then they finally got this calming presence in net and Jordan Bennington. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's all it takes. To answer your question, though, Curb, about the whole playoffs as a whole, I thought the first round was magnificent. I did, too. It yes, was completely, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. I thought the second round was okay. Third round was pretty lackluster. And uh, the final, I thought it picked up steam there, uh, you know, after, uh, you know, games four. I think games four on, I thought it really picked yeah. up. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest issues with this this uh, playoffs was, and I mean, everybody's been talking about it, but refing, especially, like, the way that the Vegas Knights went down to San Jose, yeah. man. Like, that, you can't let that happen, right? Like, there was a couple, like, iffy plays, and then the, there's the whole, like, replay controversy and everything. And I think this offseason, like, the NHL really needs to figure this out, you know? And I'm I'm against replay, but even if they go the other way and say let's start replaying everything and then have to eventually scale it back, like they gotta start figuring out a way to dial some of this stuff in because as of right now it's not necessarily working. Yeah, I think that a lot of people talk about slowing down the game, but I think a lot more people should be talking about getting the right call, right? I, I completely agree with you. I I I've heard the idea tossed around of an extra ref being there quickly to do a replay and you know, I guess it's interesting for me because I, I would need to brainstorm this a little more on what situations can be reviewed. But when you have a five-minute major and it's something like that and it ruins the team's whole season, everything they, they've worked for and gotten to the playoffs. And, and Vegas was a front-runner, I thought, to get to the Stanley Cup final. And, mm-hmm. you know, to have them go down like that, uh, you know, obviously it was brought up that they could have stopped them on that five. They could not have allowed that many goals, like four goals or something in that five minutes. Like, you can you – can, kill off that penalty or just not allow four goals but at the same time like that call probably shouldn't have been made and I think in the end Gary Bettman's talked about it a little bit right like they they're gonna look at it and I think that looking at things like majors or just even like penalties that are gonna affect the game or a hand pass that wins it in overtime like these kind of things should be reviewed I don't care if it's in the rule book to do it those kind of things the right call needs to be made and it's tough for referees they're put in a tough position because they don't have those rights to review, right? Like they yeah. just kind of have to go by the playbook or the referee and the rules right now, which is makes it tough on the guys. What do you guys think about Ryan O'Reilly overall MVP? You think that's that was right? I right loved call? it. Yeah, I loved it. I thought that, it was a great yeah. call. Yeah, well, uh, I, of obviously course. The points are great, and then just what he does on faceoffs. I mean, he was thrown out there for every single faceoff. You would you would see like Hockey Night in Canada would just pan over to like a line change, and it would just be the center changing for Ryan O'Reilly every face-off that they had to take. Like, in his own zone, Ryan O'Reilly's out there, and that doesn't get taken into account enough for Smythe. So it was great to see a guy like Ryan O'Reilly win. Had it gone the other way, do you guys think it would have been Tuca? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Okay. Um, so the St. Louis Blues, uh, is, this is a copycat league. Is there anything that you think any other team in the NHL is going to copy about the St. Louis Blues, though? This is like, it's it's weird. It's just a weird team to come out on top. Yeah, suck for, suck for half a year and then turn it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no? So maybe the, biggest, maybe the biggest story coming out of this will just be the, yeah, great. they're a great story and they got to do something about instant replay. Right? Yeah, I think I think there is something to copy from the Blues and it's, you know, it's not being that big, tough team. I think it's having defensemen that you can really rely on. I mean, Colton Perenko and Petrangelo were playing over 25 minutes each a game. Jay Bomeister was over like 22 minutes a game. 
if you have three defensemen that you can rely on to play like almost the whole game, I mean, like, look at that. Like, Petrangelo and Perenko were never together, but they're playing 50 minutes of the game to like they're taking up five sixths of the game. For 10 minutes, you have to rely on that third pairing. I mean, like, I think a lot of teams need to do this. You need to look at having three great defensemen, two of them that are, you know, at the level where you can almost call them number one, and then have a third guy that can also rack up a lot of minutes with your top pairing. But if you have a Petrangelo and a Perinko playing that much minutes and playing that good, like, I, I, I think a lot of teams are going to kind of copy that. Yeah, you see it a lot with, uh, you know, like ever since the Blackhawks have been winning with, uh, yeah, exactly. you know, when exactly. they had Keith and Seabrook in their prime, and then they had another guy that they could rely on with a, with Jalmerson there. And then yep. Nashville kind of uh, took that mantle over when they had, like, your Ryan Ellis and your Subban. And actually, they had four guys, right? They had Ekholm and um, Roman Yossi, right? But, like, I, I agree. I think you, you need at least three D-men who can really munch minutes. I think Colton Perenko, this was a kind of a coming-out party for him. Like, a lot of people around the league didn't realize how good of a player this guy actually is. And, uh, you know, he really proved it in this uh, Blues run. Yeah. Uh, so, yep, there we go. The St. Louis Blues somehow win the Stanley Cup. Just a couple other things I wanted to go over at the end of this uh, between the Stammers. Uh, the Canucks today unveiled uh, the new jersey collection for the 50th season. What do you guys think of the anniversary jerseys? What do you think of the changes they made to the regular jerseys? I'll, I'll let, uh, I'll let uh, Faber take this one first. I think it's pretty cool that they let Justin Morissette be one of the models. That's a good-looking big man with a beard. So uh, yeah. that's all I have to say about those. I think the jerseys are shit. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't think they're great. Dude, I agree, man. I like. I just don't really get the point. Like, I don't like the shoulder patches, the reverse colors on the shoulder patches. Yeah. I think those are just like kind of a bit, kind of an eyesore. The way they stand off off the shoulder. I like it when they're a little more. Um, a little more like toned down because I mean the main thing like you want a focal point on a jersey right the main thing yeah. you're always looking at is the crest and I think those shoulders pop a little too hot I don't think they did enough to really change it you know I kind of like the Vancouver writing because it lets you know where where we're from and it's unique I don't know like and then that fucking heritage one or whatever they're calling it uh, that one to me is the worst like the fucking green with the blue stripes on the arm and then it doesn't have any separation those those two colors just kind of mud into each other, and I, I wouldn't buy that jersey in a million years. Wow. The only no, jersey, I, sorry, um, the only jersey I really like is the plate of spaghetti because it's the exact same. Yeah, that that jersey's fine. I'm totally fine with that one. But it, it, I swear these just look like these like knockoff jerseys. Like if you ordered from like a thirty dollar website for a Canucks jersey, this is what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, like I, there's no, like it's like it's missing the piping. The logos look a little bit different. There's no Vancouver on it. This is what you would get if you ordered a thirty dollar jersey from a weird website. I agree, man. I compare. I compared them to like it's like remaking. Like I went. I've already talked about this, but I went and saw Aladdin. I thought it was fucking garbage. This remake <laughs> just had to bring. Like it up I thought again. it was absolute garbage. And these Canucks remakes of these jerseys that they already have, they don't um, improve on anything about the current jersey, in my opinion. Nope. Like I just don't think it's a, it's an improvement whatsoever. I'm so pumped to see the black with the skate back, and it's like if you want to make that our jersey every game again. I'm fucking so down with that. But these other ones, not into them. All right. I have no problem with them. I looked at them and I'm like, okay, a little less busy, I thought. That's what I kind of liked about it. Well, like, did you hear what they were talking about with the numbers? Like, the raindrops on the numbers? They're like, the raindrops on the numbers really <laughs> signify the West Coast. It's like, who's looking that close? Yeah. You know? Yeah. On, a, on a fucking white number. You're not going to see it. Okay. 
the, I think there's going to be a lot of black jerseys in the stands. I think a lot of people are going to buy the black flying skate. And yeah. I don't think there's going to be a lot of per- – I mean, everybody has this jersey already, but it has Vancouver on it. Like, it's nothing changed. And they, I know they took the white piping off of the stick and ring jerseys, but, like, did people really notice that? That's not bad. And the, the rain on the numbers is just, just the weirdest thing ever. It's like, fucking ridiculous. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Like, who, who – like, what kind of a graphic designer thought, like, that's going to stand out? You know, yeah, and you had a chance, like with this team, with this core, you're changing the like changing what people think about the Vancouver Canucks. You could have had so many opportunities to make this into such a cool jersey that that we think of Besser and Pedersen and Horvat and Quinn Hughes as like this is their era, this is their jersey. Like we kind of when we think of Naslin in the West Coast Express, I mean we think of the what the Orca jersey was with yeah. the white and the, and the weird red one, but I still love that jersey. I think it's weird as hell. And <laughs> you know, like thinking about that jersey, and then we think about the Sedins, and we think about the past jersey that we had, and the stick and ring jersey. Like this was a chance to bring, you know, Johnny Canuck back and make it something different for yeah. this new crop of guys. That's going to be a new era of Canucks fans. I think they missed a huge opportunity here with their 50th season. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think they totally dropped the ball, and the only jersey I want to see is the black skate. And then if you're yep. going on the road, give me the white skate. And you know what? Let me see Besser's hair flow out of the back of a fucking <laughs> black helmet, match the color of the jersey. Like, I, I, I think Brock Besser would be the best-looking guy in that fucking black jersey. Like, I really yep. do. And it just, to, like, to see that guy jar goals in a jersey like that would be so awesome, like, on the reg. And I honestly think Canucks fans should fucking boycott some of these new jersey designs and just go with the black skate. You know, if you don't have it, fucking pick it up because, like, <laughs> honestly. Like six guys wearing the black jersey while everyone else is wearing the shitty blue stick and ring jersey. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to bring this up really quickly because uh, the Raptors game is coming up real soon here. What do you guys think? Toronto Raptors going to win the NBA Finals tonight. Uh, sorry, I'm just looking at my hockey cards right now, and I got a Jake Cortanen one in that black jersey. He looks slick as hell. He does, right? he does. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but, I've seen that, yeah. As to the Raptors, I am a little bit worried at this point. I think that, you know, if Clay Thompson still isn't 100% healthy, I think the Raptors win tonight. But if Clay Thompson goes off for more than 30 points, uh, I would not be surprised if Golden State comes back and wins this series, man. It freaks me out. And, I, you know, I've been a Raptors fan since I got a phone and came with a free We the North hat like four years ago. So I've been a pretty nice. big Raptors fan, you know. Nice, nice, But, nice. <laughs> but at the same time, like, this Golden State team is is – unreal like they're a great team there's a reason they've won like what three of the last four championships or four of the last five i don't i don't really follow nba too much but i'm on this i'm on the bandwagon hard with the raptors but it scares me here i think that uh i think if they lose game six they lose game seven at home so they gotta win tonight man yeah i agree that they do need to win tonight i think they're going to win tonight because uh they're you know the kevin durant thing is over now they gotta move they, they 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 know how to uh they, they know how to move on. Uh, they know how to, uh, you know, they, they've played well against Golden State, in Golden State, and they know how to handle Golden State without Durant. Yes, Durant threw a bit of a wrench at the beginning of last game, and the, the Raptors just didn't play well last game. So that's why I think they're going to bounce back with a good yeah. game, and it's going to be tonight that they win the NBA I Finals. don't know, though, man. Like, how many games are you going to fucking win at the Oracle? This is, like, a, mm. a notorious place for fucking losers to go in there and hang their heads in shame. Like, yeah. The last I, game at Oracle, too. I, yeah, it's going to be the last game at Oracle. Clay Thompson fucking scared me at the end of that last game when he hit that three and just started wiling out towards the Raptors bench. I was like, fuck, he's feeling it. Now he's in the series. I think I think those Raptors fans, like, I know they, they uh, 
and like this this whole booing Durant when he went down, whole bullshit narrative aside, like I think that really fired up this Warriors team. Really? And I think the media hyping it up has fired yeah, up this Warriors team even more. And I I do think it's the worst part. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I I I think the Raptors are just a deeper team and they've been in like they've either blown out Golden State or it's been right down to the wire. So I think the Raps depth is going to what's win this. Not none of that other side stuff you're talking about. So the yeah. Sorry, the sports prophet has spoken then yeah. on this one. Yeah. Tonight, it gets done. <laughs> it gets done tonight. I think if they hit 30% or above on their or 35% on their three points, they win tonight. They they can't go 25% like they were last game. That was tough. I fucking tell you right now, man, like as soon as you start playing Golden State's game, you lose. And yep. and and when they get those threes going and when the Raptors are trying to catch up that way, like you can't do it. You got to fucking get down in the post and bang. And, like, a guy like Kawhi can easily do that and take a game over. And Kawhi didn't play his, his best game last game at all. But um, I just see it going seven. All right. Fair mm-hmm. enough. I think if it goes you, seven, they're going to lose. I do. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Now, so. what are you guys going to do with this basketball talk? Cold? Are you guys going to start talking CFL here pretty soon? Know, <laughs> <like two>. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a cold day in hell, Faber, before I start talking CFL. Absolutely. Good choice. Uh, Chris Faber, he's uh, talks Vancouver Canucks on his podcast, Canucks Conversation. He also writes for them at Canucks Army. Uh, Chris Faber, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Chris Faber 39 or on CanucksArmy.com writing for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. when are you going to come up to Victoria and crack a brew with us? Ah. Uh. Soon, I probably should get down to Victoria. I got a lot of friends down there. I used to go to school down there, and it, the damn bike lanes pissed me off so much I had to move back to Nanaimo. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got news I'll, for I'll you, man. There's there. more Next of them. Next time I come down, we'll, uh, we'll go hang out with Kirk McLean at, uh, at the Shark Club and get some wings and beers. Awesome, buddy. Uh, Caleb Kirby, where can we find you? You can find me at Curbman23 on Twitter. And you can find me at Art Aronson on all social media platforms. You can also email us at BetweenTheStammers at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Faber. Get a Twitter account, boys. <laughs> I've been pushing for it, but he keeps shooting me down. Oh, that's not true at all. Anyways, thanks for listening.